0: Welcome to our latest Pensions Podcast. I'm Faye Jarvis, a partner in our pensions team at Hogan Lovells, and with me today is Matthew Bullen, a partner in our pensions litigation team. And this week, we thought we'd talk about net zero commitments, as they are quite topical in the pensions press at the moment. Um, As you may know, some pension scheme trustees have already made public commitments to achieve net zero by a certain date in the future in their investment portfolio. Other trustees may be thinking of doing the same. In this podcast, we we look first at what a net zero commitment entails, and then we discuss the compatibility, or otherwise, of exercising investment powers expressly in furtherance of meeting a net zero commitment with trustees' general duties. Before we get going, Matthew, you suggested the topic, what prompted you to think of it?
1: Yeah, so thanks, Faye. My my prompt was really a a recent High Court decision involving charity trustees and investment powers. And it it struck me as an interesting case, and it tackles a difficult issue. Um, And I thought that there could potentially be some crossover relevance for pension scheme trustees in due course, though, as we'll go on to discuss, we don't want to overstate that uh, significance. But it it remains an interesting case on a difficult area. So I thought we should discuss it.
0: Thank you. I think before we get going, we should probably explain what a net zero commitment is. The term is banded around quite a bit, but not all of our listeners will necessarily um, know exactly what it entails. I think the first point to note is that it's not there is no legal requirement to make or have a net zero commitment. So it's, this is really a decision for uh, individual trustees of schemes. Effectively, net zero is achieving a balance between the greenhouse gases put into the atmosphere and those which are taken out. So for a pension scheme, this means balancing the net emissions of the portfolio. So investments in greenhouse gas intensive businesses can still be held as long as those emissions are offset elsewhere in the portfolio. And as I've said, making a net zero commitment has become an increasingly hot topic in the pensions industry with lots of campaign groups lobbying to encourage more pension schemes to make the commitment. So I think one of the key questions trustees will need to ask themselves is can net zero commitments come into conflict with fiduciary duties? Matthew, what do you think? Well,
1: I think this goes to the heart of the issue. I mean, to start with a simple and uncontroversial observation, trustees certainly can take account of ESG issues as financial factors when making investment decisions. That much is easy because expressing the point in that way is simply to characterise ESG factors as financially relevant, which, of course, they, they clearly can be. The more challenging issue which got raised by this case is is whether or not a trustee can lawfully adopt an ambitious investment strategy in furtherance of a net zero commitment, even if the investment advice is that there is a greater risk of financial underperformance. In other words, to what extent can trustees lawfully take account of non-financial factors when making investment decisions? And, And that's a really tricky legal area. So starting with the basics, I mean, Faye, what are the key legal principles when it comes to pension scheme trustees investing scheme assets?
0: I'm sure all pension trustees listening to this will be very familiar with their core investment duties, and they are derived from a combination of legislation, uh, the rules of their, the terms of their trustee rules and case law. And there is also guidance from the pensions regulator. At the risk of oversimplifying simplifying things slightly, the core requirement is that trustees must invest scheme assets for proper purposes in the best interests of the beneficiaries of the scheme. And the phrase at best interest has been subject to some debate, but it really means furthering the purpose of the trust to ensure the benefits promised are paid. And case law has told us that in, in this context best interest means best financial interests. And so the issue you could get into is what if the trustee's investment advice says that there is a trade-off to be had between a net zero commitment and pursuing the best financial interests of met scheme members? Now, of course, it is perfectly possible that there will be no trade-off. It is quite possible that that a strategy um, that has a net zero commitment would also be in the best financial interests of members. And so in these circumstances, that net zero commitment would be a financial factor, and that's something trustees can and should be taking into account. But what if trustees want to adopt a net zero commitment because they feel it's the morally right thing to do, but they've been told there is a trade-off? For example, trustees may have received investment advice to the effect that strategy X is expected to deliver better returns, but it involves holding investments in greenhouse gas-intensive businesses, which can't all necessarily be offset, whereas strategy Y excludes certain companies or sectors that are not considered compliant with the trustee's net zero ambitions or that strategy is expected to deliver inferior returns, at least in the short term. So what should trustees do in that situation where arguably the net zero commitment is a non-financial factor? And does the new case help, Matthew?
1: It's fair to say the case law on this topic had been unsatisfactory for a while. In in recent decades, there have really only been two cases that specifically concerned private pension scheme trustees investment powers. And both of them concerned unsuccessful attempts to force trustees to have regard to non-financial factors, which is, of course, the issue we're grappling with. And for that reason, it had traditionally been thought that it it was difficult for trustees, save in very exceptional circumstances, to do anything other than target the best financial return. So, surveying the history very briefly, the first case was Coward and Skagler in 1984, which concerned the mine workers' pension scheme. And this was the case that, Faye, you alluded to earlier when you mentioned the proposition that trustees had to invest in members' best financial interests. The second case was the so-called Bishop of Oxford's case in 1992, And in that case, the Bishop of Oxford was concerned that the investment policy being pursued by the church commissioners, which is one of its functions, has the obligation to pay pensions to Anglican clergy. Their policy attached undue weight, he thought, to purely financial considerations and insufficient weight to the object of promoting Christianity. He therefore challenged the commissioner's investment strategy. And as such, it's it's an early example in the case law of ESG investment concerns. And the bishop lost his challenge principally because the judge thought that the the declarations sought were ambiguous and unnecessary. But the judgment discussed the compatibility of fiduciary duties and non-financial factors in more detail than had been the the case before. And the key point for present purposes is that the judge held that the only clear situation in which trustees could lawfully exclude categories of investments for non-financial reasons was when the investments in question directly conflicted with the trust's objects. But the examples that were discussed in that case were really simplistic. I mean, there was you know, cancer research charities not wanting to invest in tobacco companies, temperance charities not wanting to invest in brewery companies, and, and Quakers not wanting to invest in defence companies. The, the new case, Butler's loss in the Charity Commission, handed down a couple of months ago, took this to another level and addressed the issue in far more detail. So this case concerned two charities that had asked the court for directions on whether they could permissively exclude many potential investments that the trustees believed conflicted with their charitable purposes. The purposes of the charities were environmental protection and improvement, and they were not large by the standards of many pension schemes, assets of 42 million and, and 22 million respectively. The defendants of the application were the charity commissions and the attorney general in her capacity as guardian of the public interest in charity cases. They argued that it was premature for the court to approve the investment policies based on the available evidence. But the trustees wanted directions from the court so that they could be permitted to adopt specified investment policies that they'd worked up in in furtherance of a net zero commitment. The court granted the declarations and thereby gave the trustees comfort that they could pursue their chosen investment policies without being a breach of duty. And in doing so, the court held in analyzing the Bishop of Oxford's case that the true principle should be that subject to the terms of the trustees, trustees can take account of non-financial factors if they think some classes of investment conflict with their trust's purposes. And they have a discretion to exclude those investments subject to balancing all relevant factors. And that was the result, but it's worth delving into the case in a bit more detail to see how extreme the proposed investment policy was because it really brings to light the, the acuteness of the issue. As mentioned, the the charities had as their objects environmental protection. The trustees wanted to identify investments that were aligned with the 2016 Paris Agreement, and that meant the trustees wanted to exclude investments that were not aligned with Paris. The practical effect of that was pretty extreme. It necessarily excluded over half of publicly traded companies and many available investment funds. And the investment advice that the charity trustees had received was that a policy that extreme could well deliver an inferior financial return, at least in the short term. And the trustees had to accept in their evidence that they were unable to conclude the extent of that financial detriment. They were sort of flying blind to some extent. The trustees wanted comfort that they would still be acting lawfully if they adopted the new set of principles, which is how the case came about. The judge granted the declaration sought, and so the policies could be adopted. Standing back, what conclusions can be drawn from this case? I mean, a key point is that the case was a charity case concerning a charity whose very objects were environmental protection. And the objects of a pension scheme, of course, are to pay pensions, not to protect the environment. So that's an obvious and important point of distinction. But what the court has done in this case, I think, is to confirm that, first, trustees can take account of non-financial factors when exercising powers of investment. And that, secondly, taking account of those considerations is a balancing exercise. And given how difficult these are and the wide variety of different situations can arise, it's unsurprising the court didn't set down a more of a bright line test on that. Stepping back from all of that, Faye, what, what do you think the key takeaways are for pension scheme trustees? Well,
0: in terms of bringing it back to the possibility of adopting a net zero commitment, I suspect that many trustees will be able to conclude that actually net zero commitments is a financial factor that they can take into account. And I say that given that many governments and other entities have made similar commitments. And so there will be a general transition as those governments and other entities seek to uh, meet their commitments. But I think even if that is where you get to, it's important to have the advice to back that up. It's also the case that it should not be seen as a once and for all decision that you then have to pursue blindly. You do need to consider investment opportunities and changes to investment strategy that come up. And if they don't quite fit with that commitment, but that they are in the best interests of members, then you may need to go with that, notwithstanding the fact that it um, jars with that commitment. And obviously, I think all trustees would always do this anyway, but you'd engage with your employer on this because it may well be that they are thinking of making a similar commitment, have they not done so already. But for those trustees where maybe the advice doesn't stack up and they're still wanting to look at making some form of commitment, and therefore you're thinking about this more as a non-financial factor, one option certainly is to go out to your membership and see what their views are on the subject. Now, obviously, there can be costs to that. And there are also some risks if uh, you have a a membership that actually the predominant view is that they don't want you to make such a commitment and they don't agree with it. That that might be unlikely, but that, that is a risk you'd face. So I think there are certainly something that perhaps trustees might want to be thinking about and discussing, not least because it's just a hot topic in the industry. But I think also the point to remember is there is no legal requirement on this, but we'll see how it develops. So thank you for bringing that case to our attention, Matthew. It was um, really helpful. And hopefully you'll all join us for the next Hogan Lovells Pensions podcast. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Faye.